Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, we just thank you that you are the protector of uh, our soul. You're our protector in, in all ways. You watch over us. and Lord, you're our strength. And Lord, today's not my best day physically, but you've, you've been dealing with a headache even this morning. And Lord, you remind us that when we're weak, you're strong. So Lord, I just ask you to be strong. Uh, Lord, because it's not about me to start with. It's all about you. So Father, just uh, be strong in this place. Uh, maybe we're all tired and weary. Maybe we're just tired because we had to set our clocks forward. I don't know. But uh, Lord, we uh, just ask that you'd be strong in us and through us and that you would speak to us this morning uh, and that you'd have your way and that your will would be done uh, in this service and in this time of proclamation. We ask in Christ's holy name. Amen. Well, I'm going to read uh, John uh, chapter 8, just verse 12 to start with, and then I'll share other verses. Uh, I know we're uh, accustomed to having those on the screen, but uh, you're going to have to find those in, uh, uh, in your Bibles, which that's a good thing too, so keep your Bibles uh, handy this morning. John chapter 8, and the verse I'm going to read is, is right after the story of the woman who was caught uh, in, in adultery, and uh, the, the Pharisees brought her there before Jesus, mostly to try to trick Jesus, uh, and, and I'll refer to that in, in a minute. But after he finished dealing uh, with them and, and their questions and pointed out to them that they were not uh, without sin, he then, Jesus then said this in verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thanks be to God for his holy word. I suspect most of us have been afraid of the dark uh, at some point or, or another. Darkness can be a particularly scary place uh, for children. Darkness was made more frightening for me as a child because my brother had a lot of nightmares when he was a, a child. And he would occasionally, and we shared a room, we had twin beds in, in, in a room, and uh, he would occasionally scream out in the night, or he would wake up trying to climb the wall over by his bed, and you'd hear the scratching of his nails uh, on the wall. Or what was the, the very worst, and I've told some of you this before, he would sit up in his bed in the middle of the night and, and point towards the closet beside of my bed and say, he's in the air! I would immediately pull the covers over my head and just knew the end was coming. What, though, brought the most comfort, as I'll say later, was light. But as a child, we are so often concerned about, you know, what's behind the closet doors or what's under the bed or what's around the corner. Uh, when I got my license, it was also my job often to take my grandmother back home after Thanksgiving and Christmas, and we also always had to check all of her closets and, and, and pull the curtain back and make sure no one was in the bathtub uh, in, in her place when we went back to her house. She was just kind of concerned after being gone all day. So we, even we adults, our imaginations can run wild uh, in the dark. 
And for adults, it may not be the literal darkness. It may not be what's behind the closet doors. But it's the darkness of our world sometimes that frightens us the most. When I planned to do this series, I, I had no idea that Russia would be attacking the Ukraine. Even as I worked on the message this week, I had no idea that one of the headlines this morning would be that missiles were fired near our consulate by Iran. I had no idea that tensions continued to increase with China and Taiwan. That sort of darkness and, and, and all of its ramifications, it frightens us, doesn't it? It surely frightens us. You know, when I was a kid, though, and my brother would scream out, what helped the most was for me to, to be brave enough to get out of my bed because the light switch was closest to my bed and, and to get over to that light switch and turn it on. And, of course, what was even better would be if mom and dad would come across the hallway and they would turn the light on. Because that light always revealed that, that what I imagined in the darkness was nowhere near as bad as I perceived it. That the light revealed that things were going to be okay. And, and beloved, that's true for us as adults, for a light has come. A light has erupted in the midst of the darkness of our world, and that light is Jesus. Today, we, we turn to that next great I am statement. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the context of Jesus' statement is crucial to understand. As I already alluded to in the beginning of the eighth chapter of John, there's the story of the woman caught in adultery. And many of you are likely familiar with that story. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees bring her uh, to Jesus to test Jesus. And they bring the charge against this woman that she's been caught in adultery. And, and they say, well, Jesus, the law of Moses commands stoning this woman. But what do you say? And Jesus mysteriously bent down and he wrote something in the sand. We don't know exactly what he wrote in the sand, but we do know what he said. He said, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. One by one, the scribes and the Pharisees began to leave because no one is without sin except Jesus himself. And, but he said, but even I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. The story is a reminder of the pervasiveness of sin. It represents the dark nature of sin and how it invades our lives with all of its darkness. But Jesus has a solution. In fact, Jesus is the solution. He is the light of the world. He's the one who pushes back the darkness of sin. Jesus is the purity and, and the light that we all need. And he, just, he doesn't just push back the darkness, folks. He overcomes it. He overcomes it. 
Notice what Jesus said again in verse 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of Jesus not only breaks into the darkness of our sin, but He overcomes it. And He gives life. If you're familiar with John's Gospel, you may recall that John began his Gospel by speaking of Jesus as light. John 1, verses 4 and 5, In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, And the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus, folks, has given you and I life that darkness cannot overcome. The Bible teaches that that in our sin, you and I were spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We weren't just comatose. We weren't dormant. We were spiritually dead. As a result, we needed something or someone to give us life, something beyond us to give us light and life. And I've been reminded recently that some of you listening, especially if you didn't grow up in the church, you might not be comfortable with the word sin. Rather, you might resonate more with the word broken. That is, it might help you to think about how we all have some brokenness. And I can see how that might be helpful to think about brokenness. But understand this. What the Bible teaches about our brokenness is that you and I are so broken that we can't fix ourselves. It's not that we're just a little bit messed up. We're so broken we cannot fix ourselves. That's why God came to the rescue That's why God came in the person of Jesus and He lived the perfect life. He he died the the death we deserved and He was raised on the third day. Jesus entered into our darkness and His life-giving, light-overcoming gift of life, it just shattered the darkness and it shattered our death. Jesus is the light who overcomes the darkness of our sins and our total brokenness. Jesus is the light who gives us life. And thus, He's the light that you and I must follow. He's the light we must follow. Let me read again verse 12. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, everyone does not follow Jesus. Back to the beginning of John, John 1, verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Becoming children of God and experiencing the overcoming of our sins and the giving of life is reserved for those who receive the light of the world. It's reserved for those who will accept the light of the world. 
It is those who follow Jesus who will not walk in darkness. And following Jesus, beloved, begins by trusting in Him, believing in Him as your Lord and Savior, believing in His darkness-shredding, life-giving death and resurrection. Becoming children of God and entering into light and life eternal and abundant begins by admitting our sinful brokenness. Admitting that we can't fix ourselves. Instead, we must trust in Christ to rescue us. And trusting trusting that Jesus is the only one who can rescue us. If you've never made that decision, I would urge you to do so this very day. This very morning to trust in Jesus and to let Him rescue you from the darkness of your brokenness and your sin. But many, if not most of you listening today, either here or online, you've already received Christ. So I want to spend a little time this morning uh, just talking about what are, what are the blessings and the responsibilities of those who follow the light of Christ? What, what are the blessings that are ours when we follow the light of Christ? You see, Jesus not only gives light and life, but he lights the way for how you and I are to live every day. Throughout Scripture, we find God's directing of His people, and it's described as light. Psalm 119, 105, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Isaiah 2, verse 5, O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. But here in John 8, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, He's actually making a reference again to His divinity. He's, he's equating himself to God who guided the Israelites through the wilderness as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Why do I say that? Well, I have to give credit where credit is due, and commentator James Boyce reminds us that context is everything. It always is, but in this, in this text, it, it truly is. You must look at the context. Let, let me try to summarize the context. If you have your Bibles open in John, look at John 7, uh, verse 2. And it says there that the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles, was at hand. Then verse 37, if you go on down, says it was the last day of the feast when Jesus stood up and began to teach. And then chapter 8, verse 2, seems to indicate that it was the next morning that he came to the temple and he encountered the Pharisees and the woman caught in adultery. And he said then, after that encounter, I am the light of the world. So what's going on is Jesus is teaching just after, uh, and he's saying I'm the light of the world just after the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And he surely had that feast in mind when he said I'm the light of the world. And you say, well, so what? Well, here's, here's the so what. On the first night of this festival, two great lamps were lit in the courts of the temple. 
And those lamps were specifically designed to remind the people of the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that accompanied the people in their wilderness wanderings as they left Egypt. In Exodus 13, it says, And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. So what Jesus is saying when you put it together, I am the light of the world in the context of the festival of booths, he's reminding them that the pillar by day and by night, was a reminder of God's presence with the people. And he's saying, I am the light of the world. I am the pillar of cloud. I am the pillar of fire. I am God with you. He's saying, I'm present with you. I will not depart from you. Lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And also the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night was a means by which God protected the Israelites. The Bible tells us in Numbers 1 that more than 600,000 men plus women and children left out of Egypt and they crossed through the wilderness, eventually arriving at the promised land some 40 years later. Remember they sinned and they had to wander for 40 years. How could God protect that many people in a hostile environment where daytime temperatures could reach between 140 to 150 degrees and nighttime temperatures could drop below freezing? What's the answer? A pillar of cloud by day that shaded all of the Israelites. A pillar of fire by night that gave heat and guidance to warm and protect the Israelites. Jesus is saying, just like that, I'm the protector of your souls. I'm the protector of all who will come and follow me. I'm going to preserve you for all eternity. Remember his great prayer, he didn't want to lose anyone that the Lord had given him. He's saying, I will protect you. I'll watch over you. Then Excuse me. Another primary function of, of the, the pillar of cloud and, and the pillar of fire was to guide the people. Numbers 9:17 says, "Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, after that the people of Israel they set out. And in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped." Verse 22 in, in Numbers 9 says, "Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time, that the cloud settled over the tabernacle or the tent, abiding there, the people of Israel remained right there in camp, and they did not set out. When it lifted, they set out. So at the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. The implications are clear, beloved. Jesus is our guide. We're to move as He tells us to move in the Gospels. We're to live as He lived, and you and I are to speak as He spoke. He is the light of the world. He is the one guiding us. Uh, the, the Gospels, we, we ought to be studying the Gospels to see how Jesus lived and let Him guide us and live as He lived. Which means we're to ref reflect 
his light. You and I are called to reflect the light of Jesus. We're to be his light in this dark world. Clearly, Jesus is the light of the world. But you know what he said to his disciples in Matthew 5, verse 14? He said to them, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You and I are called to reflect the light of Jesus Christ. In the nine and a half years I've been here, I've often pondered on the fact that Stuart Presbyterian sits up here on this hill. And if you look right back here, you look over the whole town of Stuart. I don't believe much in coincidence. I believe in divine sovereignty. I believe the Lord Jesus placed Stuart Presbyterian on this hill for a reason. Jesus is the light of the world. But He's caused us and He's placed us here overlooking this town to share His light with this generation. It's our calling to share Jesus' light with this generation. And so i got to ask myself and i got to ask us this morning, how are we reflecting His light? How are we reflecting His light? Can, can I urge you to share with our community that Jesus is the light to overcome our darkness? That Jesus is the light we need to overcome our sinful brokenness? He's the light which gives us life. Let, let's share with our community that He's the light we should follow. He gives us His presence, His protection, His guidance. We're His church, beloved, set upon this hill to be a light. May our reflection of the light of the world begin to pierce the darkness around us. Let's pray together. Lord, I, I don't know what all the decisions were made back in 1947 when it was a decision to have a church here. And in fact, we're coming up on our 75th anniversary this summer. But despite what were the human decisions... I know that your decision was to put us on this hill. And not to put us here as a marker or a statue or, or, or something of that nature. You put us here to reflect the light of Jesus. Lord, you put us here not to bring glory to Stuart Presbyterian Church or any members, but to bring glory to you. You put us here to, to be a part of piercing the darkness around us. So Lord, I pray 
that though the past 75 years have been good, that, that whatever you give us ahead, that it's going to be even more glorious and more to the praise of your name. That even more, we're going to display your light. Lord, I pray that we would not put the light of Jesus under a basket or hide our lamp in any way. That, but that in our daily living and in the words we speak, that we would reflect your gospel and that the people around us would come to know the light and life of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Beloved, let's go out and be the light of Jesus Christ to the people around us. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with all of you today and forevermore. Amen.